Hello, and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. This podcast was created to help education nonprofits, startups, research institutes, and schools learn how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in PR where I've been able to understand what works and what doesn't when it comes to landing results that make an impact. Be sure to grab my free guide with three quick and surprisingly simple strategies to get media coverage for your organization. You can get your hands on the guide at mediatips.swpr-group.com. That's mediatips.swpr-group.com. I'm so excited to continue with our new series on bringing the entrepreneurial mindset to education. People don't often think that entrepreneurs and educators have much in common, but there is significant research and data on why having an entrepreneurial mindset in education can impact teaching, learning, and student outcomes, as well as growing your brand and elevating your profile. So let's dive into the show today. And on today's episode, we have an opportunity to talk with Rob Herndon, the president of the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative. In Rob's role, he's responsible for client engagement, new product development, thought leadership, and training. With degrees in astronautical engineering and systems management, Rob spent over eight years in education at the university, community college, and high school levels, as well as 21 years as a United States Air Force officer. Rob, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here, Sarah. It's going to be a good time. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So will you please tell us more about the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative and the work you're doing with the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Our work at Eli, I'll just use that for ease throughout the conversation today, is focusing on entrepreneurial mindset education. So ultimately, what we're trying to do is understand how entrepreneurs look at the world from a behavioral perspective versus viewing what they're doing as a business discipline. So we concentrate on everyday entrepreneurs versus the big names that you might see in the news. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates our work from others. Most folks are talking about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Richard Branson and what we can learn from them. But we're learning lessons from folks like Michael Tyru of Midtown Laundry or Andrew Stallings of Othello Group, or Eli Louise, who's the founder of Featherraft, who also happens to be a middle school teacher. So we think we can learn from these everyday entrepreneurs, and it connects much more closely with people's real experience in their lives, where they've probably come up where they haven't had all the resources that they needed to be successful. So they lived in these sort of resource-constrained, ambiguous environments. And we take the lessons from these everyday entrepreneurs and apply them to all aspects of work and education, because ultimately we want people to think about what can I learn from these people who are making a disproportionate impact on society, but didn't necessarily come from privilege. So ultimately, we'd like to broadcast their stories, relate it to the behavioral sciences, and then have people apply that to their own lives. That's very inspiring work. I love what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And in terms of all of that, how would you describe having an entrepreneurial mindset? Could you back up and just kind of give us the premise of what you encourage people to think about when they're thinking about that mindset? Yeah, sure. You know, when most people think of entrepreneurs, or when I say that term, it brings to mind certain ideas. But 
we like to look at it sort of from a first principles concept of what is really the heart of entrepreneurship all about. And really, it's nothing more than the process of identifying and solving problems for others so that you can empower yourself. And the mindset that is developed through the entrepreneurial process, through practicing entrepreneurship, has many connections to leadership or just in general how successful people think when faced with complex and amorphous problems. I think it's always useful to think about what is the opposite of an entrepreneurial mindset. And pretty much, you know, we've sort of coined the term the employee mindset, where someone has this general thought that, well, somebody else has figured out what's important. And if I just keep my head down and do exactly what's in my job description, everything will be okay. And that's really the antithesis of the entrepreneurial mindset, who are all folks that have this mindset are looking about how to create positive change in whatever it is that they're doing. And what comes through is this core assumption of folks that are entrepreneurial is that it's up to me to make myself useful to other people. And that ultimately through that process, my own well-being is going to be better. And I'll be able to find that intersection of my abilities and the needs of others and how to apply my efforts into that intersection. So that's really the core of the way we define it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's a perfect segue into why do you think that's important for education organizations, particularly my listeners who are nonprofits, ed tech startups, schools, and research institutes? Why should they really have consider this mindset in the work they're doing? Yeah, great question. So we found that this mindset is very powerful in those types of settings because it gets to the core of why they're doing their work in the first place. So if we look at at nonprofits, they have an advantage of being pretty clear on the vision of the problem they're trying to address because they usually built around the idea of helping others in some way. But lots of times they get stuck in very established ways of thinking. So for instance, if, well, if we could just get this grant, then that's all we're going to need and we'll be able to move forward from that versus really diagnosing how they can best leverage whatever resources that have available and apply those towards solving that problem that they're trying to solve. So we do a lot of work with nonprofits in a professional development realm to get them thinking about how to look at it through that lens. And it's very similar with schools and research organizations because they tend to feel buffeted by outside forces. You see this a lot in the news and everything that's going on with the pandemic about how the impact on higher education. And for instance, I used to, when I was at Pikes Peak Community College, you know, used to hear all the time that we're very much at the mercy of the economy. You know, when bad economic times, more people go to school. And then when the economy is good, less people go. So enrollments follow. But In the case where we're in now, the pandemic has turned that completely upside down. So we're in a bad economy and their enrollment is down 10%. So if they have that capability to look at things through this entrepreneurial lens, they come up with solutions like Southern New Hampshire University has done, where they've become a world leader in online education because they saw that need that others had and they filled that need rather than just sort of doubling down on what they've always done. And lastly, you mentioned ed tech startups. 
I think the best advice I could give to them, which is very similar to you know we give with any small business or entrepreneurial venture, was don't fall in love with your solution. With educational technology, it might be, oh, we've got this cool new gadget or toy that just we know is going to take off and it's going to go viral. And the next thing you know, it's going to be used in every school in the country. So, but rather than falling in love with that solution, fall in love with the problem that you're trying to solve and then be willing to adapt that solution as much as you need to, to properly solve that problem and to sell it out in the market. And because too many folks think they have that perfect solution, but then it falls flat in practice. The segue is a great example of that. So I think that's some of the advice I'd provide for those folks. That's such a great point. I always emphasize that it's not about that education software development implementation 2.47 that people care about. Right. It's the outcome you're providing and the problem you're solving for those students and the curriculum that's really helping people and benefiting people. So I think that's such a great point. It's something I'm preaching every day. So I'm glad you feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I know your organization has outlined a specific set of beliefs, knowledge, and thought processes that drive entrepreneurial behavior. Could you share some of those behaviors with us that might help our listeners to just get a sense for it? Are you an education leader, the leader of an ed tech company, or a member of an organization supporting education? We continue to hear from leaders like you who have a story to tell, a message to share, or an important initiative that needs greater awareness. Three years ago, that's exactly what we heard from Doug Roberts, the CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, when he approached SWPR Group. This led to the launch of a groundbreaking new award that was unlike any other in EdTech. The Soup's Choice Awards, judged exclusively by K-12 superintendents, set IEI on a path to market dominance, increasing vendor partners and superintendent members by more than 30% year over year. Jamie Candy, the CEO of Edmentum, shared with SWPR Group the EdTech company's desire to tell district success stories and to elevate the leaders behind their organization in a more thoughtful and strategic way. Throughout the past two years, SWPR Group has established consistent and regular media coverage, authored compelling op-eds, and secured interviews highlighting success stories while also inserting Edmentum into timely topics like AI with national reporters. At SWPR Group, we provide public relations, communication strategies, and thought leadership support for today's change makers and the brands they champion. We work together with our clients to bring their mission to life by consistently delivering high quality content, creative communication strategies, and transformational results. What story do you want to tell? Reach out to us using the link in the show notes or visit our website at swpr-group.com. Yeah, absolutely. And to give you a little bit of background, where we came up with these concepts came from an ethnographic study that we did. Actually, our founder did, Gary Schoniger, back when he worked with the Cisco Entrepreneur Institute. Now, a little bit over a decade ago is where it really began. And there was a recognition that these everyday entrepreneurs weren't being looked at. And definitely their mindset was not being considered. All entrepreneurship education was focused on writing business plans and looking at case studies of you know successful 
ones, but not getting to the level of detail that we were looking at in behavior. So from that study, Gary started looking for insights that were common among these dozens, eventually leading now to a couple of hundred of everyday entrepreneurs that we've interviewed as part of our process. And so we're looking for common things that you see in them, as well as things that are replicable by anyone. You don't need an advanced degree. You don't need money. You don't need connections. These are something that anyone can do. And it was captured in a book that was co-written by Gary and a gentleman named Clifton Talbert, who was Pulitzer nominated for another book. The book they wrote together was titled, Who Owns the Ice House? Eight Life Lessons from an Unlikely Entrepreneur. And to run down those eight life lessons, the first one is all about choice. So it's understanding that ultimately every day you're getting up and you're making decisions about what you're going to do during that day, what your plans are for the future. And that that's really the baseline of everything is it comes down to that personal choice. So we talk about things around division and things around responding to your situations rather than reacting to them. Then the next sort of concept that we look at these types of behaviors is turning problems into opportunities. It's looking for ways to think about problems in a different way so that, number one, it's not defeating. You're not thinking, about, oh, this is a problem. We're never going to be able to solve this problem. You're actually seeing it as an opportunity for change and that positive change that can be made in the world. And then entrepreneurs, from these behaviors, we saw that they tended to be very action-oriented. They're just going to get started. They're not going to sit and plan and think about it for two years. They're going to go ahead and get started and learn from that process, which leads to the fourth lesson there that we get into, which is the development of knowledge. But that knowledge is tied into that opportunity and action that they've been taking. In other words, as they seek out that solving that problem, they start taking actions and then they recognize like, oh, wow, I probably need to learn something more about this. If I'm building a new program, I might need to learn to program in a different language. So they recognize that knowledge that needs to be brought about. And what we find from those sort of first four concepts is now the last four really start coming to the forefront. And those are things like resourcefulness, using whatever you have available, not relying on outside resources, working with what you have and starting with where you're at. When you go through this entrepreneurial process, you tend to become very reliable. You develop a personal brand where there's expectations. You have customers, you have people that are relying on you. So you have to meet those or otherwise you're not going to last very long. So that's something that we saw coming through. And then the last two are very impactful. One of them is community and it's building the concept of not keeping everything to yourself, but building a community. Because when you're out as an entrepreneur and you're entrepreneurial, you're already thinking outside of the norm compared to most people. So you need to build a community of like-minded people so that you can have that support and guidance from them. And then lastly, we found that persistence comes with the process. So the more times you fail and get back up again, you have that optimism, you have that hope for the future. That's something that came through with everyone that we looked at. That's awesome. And I will definitely be sure to link that book in the show notes so that our audience okay. can check that out. Excellent. Thank you. Yes. And so you shared several suggestions there, but I want to get even more practical. So what do you suggest are some simple steps that my listeners can take to begin implementing 
or thinking about a more entrepreneurial mindset? What are the first things they should think about doing? Yeah, no, great question. So as I laid those out, it made me consider this thought that we talk about in our training, which is like, hey, we're shining a light on these people that have become successful by sort of demonstrating these behaviors. But one of the main points we always like to make is most of the time, if you hear their stories, they had very little capability or they didn't naturally act in these ways. They built that over time. So as far as the best practical advice I can give, it's for someone to really put themselves through an entrepreneurial process to where they can experience the reality of what it's like to be in this ambiguous, resource-constrained environment where you're not sure what to do next. You have to make decisions and you have to move down a path when you can't see the path in front of you and it's very undefined. So what we recommend is essentially doing what we call our opportunity discovery process. So for all your listeners to just quickly step you through this process, take 10 minutes tonight and write down all the problems that you're seeing in work in life, the things that are bugging you every day, right? Write all those down, get them down on a piece of paper, and then start thinking about, okay, which one of these problems is sort of intriguing to me? Which one am I interested in? Like, hey, I think I could help to get this solved and have them think about the interests and the abilities that they bring to the table and how they could start getting involved in solving a particular problem. So now they're starting to look at it as an opportunity rather than a problem. And then take that next step, start acting, lay out your ideas, talk to other people who are affected by that problem, and start building some ideas about how it could potentially be solved. We always talk about the concept of micro-experimentation. You want to get to a point where you want to try out a little solution and see how that works, get some feedback from folks. And, you know, this is where a lot of people get stuck. So I would just, you know, for your listeners say, press through that fear, take those actions. As Mark Twain said, action speaks louder than words, but not nearly as often. So if you just start taking those actions, you can build some momentum and then see where it goes from there. It's the best way to start building these behaviors is just to practice that process. I was hoping you were going to say action because that's something I really believe in. And I think so many people get hung up on, it's not perfect. I'm not ready. I can't take the next step. Right. I just don't know what to do. And that's how you learn. Yep. I mean, no one is perfect ever. So waiting around till anything's perfect is not going to get you anywhere. Absolutely. And I mentioned micro-experimentation. I think that's very important because a lot of people think that, well, I've got to get the whole plan together and then I'll activate that plan. And if I don't do that, I'm going to run across and I'm either going to lose all this money or put all kinds of time and effort into it. And that's the opposite of where you want to be. You want to be acting and trying little things to where you're not putting a lot of time and resources into it just to see how the results come out so that you can get that feedback and then improve in that next cycle. It's very much the scientific method of developing a solution over time. Right planning a little bit, taking action, then revising and modifying as you go. That's it. Yeah, totally love it. That's what I do. That's what we're all, that's what I'm trying to do too. That's the plan. That's how it works. Yes. Okay. So you've shared quite a few examples of how this mindset and this approach has been able to transform the lives of your clients throughout the episode so far. Are there any other examples that you want to share of your clients that have really just taken off with this approach? 
Yeah, so we're at a cool spot where we get to see both the folks that we're training as facilitators, and we hear some about the folks that they're working with. You know, a few facilitators that come to mind, and just to give some context, we trained about 2,700 facilitators in our programs from 47 different states and 27 countries around the world. So we've had a pretty big swath of folks that we've impacted. And of course, it's great for our ego when we read afterwards, like, hey, wow, this was the most effective training I've seen in my career. This was life-changing. You know, and we love to get that type of feedback. But what we're really more about is seeing what happens when these people then have some time to go and apply them into their work. And one great example of a facilitator who's done that is Jim Carell out in a small town in Kansas. He took the ideas behind Ice House and really used it to help him develop a fab lab, which is sort of a maker space for folks in this small town in Independence, Kansas, only about 10,000 people. He was able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he's now noted as one of like the 50 Kansans you need to get to know. And he puts a lot of the credit on the concepts that are talked about in Ice House. And he now teaches the course and gets it to folks out in his community as well. That's a great example. It's so inspiring to hear about people making a difference like that in their own worlds and how they're impacting so many around them. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, these stories don't get out. We just see in the news the big names, but it's these stories that can be really inspirational for most people. Absolutely. The real people of the world. Right. Working hard. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So you mentioned the Ice House Entrepreneurship Program a couple times. Will you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that program? Yeah. So that was after I mentioned the book that Gary and Clifton wrote. Afterwards, we were able to work with the Kauffman Foundation to develop some curriculum around uh, the concepts in the book and including the interviews of all those unlikely entrepreneurs. So that was how it began. We've since morphed into now we've got four versions of that curriculum, whether it's for student success and like educational settings or in, in middle school settings or just original and working with entrepreneurs. But where we've been like so impressed is seeing that program get out into the world. There was a student at West Virginia University who was flunking out after his first semester of freshman year. He was forced to take this course as sort of a rescue course to keep him from having to flunk out for the whole year. And he said when he got to the concepts that we talk around about choice and external locus of control, how he was being controlled by other things versus taking control of what he could, it allowed him to change his mindset to the point where he went from a 0.7 GPA that first semester, 0.7, to a 4.0 second semester. And that program, Jim Carell that I mentioned actually was involved with Network Kansas, and they taught great individual named Melissa Weed, who just, you know, sort of about a year after taking the Ice House course said, you know what, I think we could make a little extra money to help pay our mortgage off in a small town, Kansas. And she started acting on that idea. And now just over a year later, she's got 11 employees making a huge impact in her community. So it's been really exciting to see the Ice House program expand from the book to the point of impacting people in their real lives. Well, I think we all need to get our hands on a copy of that book. That's for sure. (laughs) That's very inspiring. Rob, where can people learn more about the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative and maybe even reach out to you if they're interested in talking with you? 
Sure. So the easiest point to connect with us is via our website, which is elimindset.com. It's just uh, elimindset.com. We're on all the social media platforms. If you look up the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative, you'll find us on all the typical social media platforms. And I don't play a lot personally on social media. I am on LinkedIn and do a little bit of work there. But I'm always open if someone wants to learn more about our work to just email me at rob at elimindset.com. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate you stopping by and chatting with me. I think this is going to be really interesting for people to have this shift in how they think about their organizations, especially from an education perspective and why it's so important to really have an entrepreneurial mindset in everything we're doing and how we're interacting with our colleagues and our customers and thinking about growth for the future. I think it's going to be very inspirational. Awesome. Well, thank you for the time. Yes. Thanks, Rob. We'll have a great day. Okay. You too. And for all you Build Momentum podcast listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And don't forget to grab my free guide, mediatips.swpr-group.com. That's mediatips.swpr-group.com. Thanks so much again, and I will see you next time.